Listen, I know what it's like when you fought to get here um, and sometimes literally fought with your spouse, with your kids to get here. And then you turn on the church face when you pull into the parking lot and then you roll in here and you realize uh, Mike's gone and like the backup crew is here today. I just want you to know Lori's in front. She's duly noting everyone's attendance here and we'll report them to the proper uh, authorities, right? Hey, if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Colossians. That's in the New Testament. About two-thirds of the way back in the New Testament, the book of Colossians chapter 1. Book of Colossians chapter 1. Starting today and for the next few weeks, actually all the way through Christmas, as a church, we're going to to, together live in this book every single week. Um, As we begin kind of a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Colossians. And so um, we're going to start today with chapter 1. And uh, the whole series is really about, uh, the, the title of the series is Evolve, and it's about becoming um, the best version of you. And really, this is about Jesus changing us to be the best version of ourselves. And so this morning, we're going to jump into chapter one together. I want to give you a little background, a little history of the book of Colossians, because it's, it's really cool. So um, the book of Colossians was written by Paul in the year 60 AD. And actually today, if you were to go to Rome, you can find in Rome a, a chamber, a dungeon, which is the prison cell that Paul was in when he wrote this book. And about five to seven years before he wrote this book, Paul had spent a substantial amount of time in the city of Ephesus. He had started a church there in Ephesus. He was the first person to take the gospel to that city and organize a church there. And while he was there, he met a man named Epaphras, and he converted Epaphras to follow Christ, and he discipled Epaphras to be a follower of Christ, and Epaphras left the city of Ephesus and went back to his home city about 100 miles away, which was the city of Colossae, and Epaphras actually started a church there in the city of Colossae. And then that church began to experience some problems. The um, culture around the church started to seep into what those people believed, and so Epaphras leaves Colossae travels to Rome to visit with Paul in prison. And as he's there telling Paul what's happening with the church, Paul writes the letter that we're going to read today to the the people of Colossae, the book of Colossians. And really, he's writing this letter to, to confront them because this heresy, this bad teaching, these bad philosophies and ideas that kind of uh, begin to weep into their belief system. And so we don't know exactly what this bad teaching was. We kind of have a big idea of at least two of them. One is this idea of um, Gnosticism, which was becoming very popular at the time. And, and the Gnostics believed that everything that was physical was evil and everything that was spiritual was good. And so that meant a lot of things for them. It meant that their own physical bodies were evil, and yet their spirit inside their bodies could be good. And so they were very, um, they, they were violent, um, and they ex- practiced asceticism where they would actually wound and injure themselves. They practiced crazy sexual practices because they thought their physical body was evil anyway, and so it didn't matter. They actually believed that Jesus was not God in the flesh because flesh is physical and physical things are evil. And so Jesus can't be evil. And so Jesus was just a spirit who roamed around on, on planet Earth and not an actual physical being. 
Also in this city, there were some people who, there was a large Jewish population in the city. And so a lot of the Jewish people were, were going to these early Christians, these early converts and saying, hey, you need to believe this. You need to follow this. And they were trying to press onto these people, these religious beliefs and practices that were much more religion than relationship. They were much more about tradition and following rules and very legalistic than it was about following Jesus with a personal relationship. And so in this context, Colossae was kind of on this busy road. It's in southwest Turkey. And so on this road, travelers from all over the world would come and they would bring their philosophies and ideas. And pretty soon those things began to to seep into the gospel that the church believed. And really, in that regard, Colossians, the book of Colossians is completely up to date for us today. Because we live in a world with the constant sharing and transferring of ideas and philosophies in every part of life. And if we're not on guard about what we really believe, then pretty soon... Bad philosophies, wrong philosophies, philosophies and beliefs that undermine the gospel begin to creep into our own hearts and our own minds. And so as we look through the book of Colossians for the next few weeks, here's what we're going to find. We're going to find that Paul draws a line in the sand in this book. Colossians as a book is about a line being drawn in the sand. And the line in the sand is simply this. What do you believe about Jesus? That's the line in the sand. What do you really believe about Jesus? And the pinnacle verse in the book of Colossians, I believe, is actually found in chapter 2. So flip over to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 9, and it says this, For he himself is the fullness of deity. For in him, for in Jesus, the fullness of deity, all of God, dwells in bodily form and in him you have been made complete. This is the pinnacle verse. The, the, the whole point of Colossians revolves around this idea. What do you believe about Jesus? And here's what we believe about Jesus. As followers of Christ, we believe that Jesus is, in fact, absolutely 100% fully God. And that because we believe that, that has implications. When you make that decision about what you believe about Jesus and what we believe about Jesus is completely binary, Either you believe this about him or you do not. Either we believe that he is fully God. And if we believe he's fully God, then that means in him we have been made complete. We don't need other things. We don't need other religious traditions. We have him because he's fully God. It has implications on our life. He's made us complete. And those things begin to work themselves out in our relationships. It changes how we go to work every day. It changes how we relate to our children, how we relate to our spouses. It impacts all of our life. And so for the next few months, that's what we're going to be unpacking together. The impact of the reality of the fullness of Christ in every area of our life. So let me help you. Let me give you a tip, a pro tip here on how to get the most out of this next few months in the book of Colossians. I would encourage you to read something from this book every single day for the next few weeks. It's four chapters long. You can read the entire book in about 15 minutes. I'd encourage you once a week to sit down, find 15 minutes, open up the book, uh, book of Colossians on your, in your Bible, and read the entire thing one time through every single week. 
And then I would encourage you every week, take one chapter and read one chapter. It'll take you about three minutes to read one chapter in the book of Colossians every day. And let's just live in this together for a while, okay? Because that's what you're going to be hearing on Sundays. That's what we're going to be hearing on Sundays. If you want to maximize this, you get it outside of Sunday. You put it into your life every day. And then I would encourage you in your small groups, in your home, with your spouse, with your kids, ask each other a few simple questions. Hey, what did you read in the book of Colossians today and what stuck out to you? And just let the conversation go from there. Does that sound like a plan? All right, here we go. Colossians chapter 1. Let's dive into how Paul starts this incredible book for our lives. I'm going to read a lengthy section of scripture. We're going to focus on the last few verses today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. We underline, circle, highlight, whatever that word always. Praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you've previously heard from the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. We're going to come back to that phrase. Even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, who started the church, our beloved fellow bondservant, who's faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also has informed us of your love for the saints. All right, I want you to key in on these next few verses. This is his prayer, and this is where we're going to live today. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased, underline that word, Those words, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask what? What are we asking? We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For the attaining of all steadfastness, patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. We're going to start today talking about prayer. And um, can we just start off with a little real talk about prayer? Just some honest talk about prayer? There's not a least likely person in this church to stand up here and talk about prayer. A few months ago, Mike said, hey, I'm going to be teaching through the book of Colossians. And he mentioned it almost as like a side note in a text he sent me. He's like, oh man, I love it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12 is what I pray for my kids ever since they were born. That you be filled with the knowledge of God, that you walk in manner worthy of the Lord, and that you please him in all respects, and that you would grow in your knowledge of God. And um, Paul's like, hey, great. Why don't, or Paul, Mike, whatever, same. Mike's like, great, why don't you teach chapter one. And I was like, oh, wait, hold on. No, when I said I prayed that for my kids, I mean, like, I pray it most of the time, but not like every day. And so I just want to say that I'm here as just an average person, one of you kind of people. And like, I really struggle with prayer. How many of you are with me when you say, yeah, I struggle with prayer? Like, I don't spend enough time doing it. I feel lost when I'm praying. I don't know what I'm praying for. I'm distracted all the time. Like, I just, I struggle with this. Okay. So I'm here today as a prayer struggler, and it's okay for you to be a prayer struggler too, all right? And there's a few reasons that we're prayer strugglers. The first one, I think, is really that our lives are just too easy. 
I mean, it's hard for me to get really passionate and fired up about prayer because the reality of it is most of us, if you're like me, when you woke up today, you didn't have to worry about how you're going to make it through the end of the day physically. You went to your closet where you had multiple options for clothing to wear on a cool rainy fall day. You went downstairs, you made yourself a pot of coffee, you opened up your refrigerator, your pantry, and it might not have been full of the best stuff in the world. It might not have been very full at all. We were like out of milk today, but there was plenty of food to nourish everybody in my family for today and well beyond in my house. You know what I'm talking about? I wasn't out in the cold and the rain. My life's just too easy. And it's so easy for us every day when we wake up to just kind of think, in the back of my mind, I know, like, man, I really need God to get me through this day. But in the front of my mind, it's kind of like, I just go through my routine because I got this. It's just too easy. It's hard to be desperate when things are easy. Secondly, you know, there, there's another reason that um, we struggle with prayer, and that is, it has to do with this. And it's just that we're just too stinking distracted anymore in life. We are constantly distracted. Our connectivity is becoming a problem. There's been, uh, multi- there's been a lot of research in this area as iPhones have become so ubiquitous in our life and constantly on us. I mean, I'm sure you know, ex- either you know where your phone is on your person right now or you're freaking out because you don't. That's the only two people in this room, right? And, you know, they've actually done studies that they, they put these people in a room and they, they ask them to take a series of, like, intelligence tests. And there's been multiple studies that have done this that have all confirmed the same thing. They, gave one, they put one group of people in the room with a piece of paper and they made them take the test. And they put the other people in the room with a piece of paper and they just put a, a smartphone on the table. Didn't turn it on, wasn't active, it was just there on the table. And what they've basically proven is that over and over and over in all this research, the mere presence of a smartphone in the room with us decreases our cognitive ability. And seeing as there's like probably 400 phones in this room right now, it's amazing that any of us can even put one single thought together after another one, right? But this becomes a problem. Apple's own data says the average person will check their iPhone over 80 times a day. There's a software designer who worked for Facebook. His name's Justin um, Rostenstein. And he's actually the designer, the software engineer who invented the like button. And some of you guys over here don't even know that that didn't exist at one point. Um, you know, and Justin Rostenstein has joined an emerging group of kind of Silicon Valley type people who are really starting to question our connectivity and the role of technology of our life. And in a recent interview, he said this. He told a reporter that the impact of our connectivity is that everyone is distracted all of the time. This has led to psychologists to diagnose an actual disorder that is becoming more and more common. And it's called um, continuous partial attention disorder. Uh, CPAD, continuous partial attention disorder. It's the process of paying attention, to, paying attention to many things simultaneously, but only at a superficial level. And so part of our problem with prayer is that you sit down with the best of intentions, and you're like, I'm going to talk to God right now. And whether it's your phone actually chiming or your mind, you just can't get the reminders to turn off. The push notifications do not stop. We're too distracted. Thirdly, One of the reasons we struggle with prayer, we just lack persistence. 
we just don't have much grit in this area. Look at what Paul said in chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying when? What was that? Always. Some of you are so distracted you can't even follow from uh, point 1 to point 2, right? He goes on, chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. He actually sums up his relationship with prayer in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, with this simple verse. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. As a matter of fact, this word, be devoted, it's, it's, or also persevere in or continue in, occurs six times in the New Testament as it relates to prayer. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, the very first church, the Bible says this about them, they were all of one mind, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the early church were continuously devoting themselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the apostles said they would devote themselves to prayer the ministry of the word. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, be devoted to prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, pray at all times in the spirit with perseverance. What does being devoted to prayer mean? It mean I think it means this, we pray often, we pray regularly. Prayer isn't infrequent or hit or miss in our life, being devoted to prayer means that we're not haphazard, we're not forgetful. It means we take steps as a part of our regular everyday life to make sure prayer is as much of a part of our life as eating and sleeping are. You know, this is where, as I've prepared for this, the biggest indictment I've felt on my own life. I'm devoted to a lot of stuff. I'm devoted to a lot of good stuff, right? I'm devoted to my marriage, devoted to my kids. I'm devoted to my career. I'm devoted to this church. I'm devoted to fishing. I can't honestly say today that I am devoted to prayer. And I think most of us in our lives can't say that we're devoted to prayer. And the message today is be devoted to this. Be committed to this. Next, one of the reasons, uh, another reason we struggle with prayer is um, we have mixed up priorities. Can we get to like the really real talk for a minute, right? The radical honesty portion. Our priorities are all messed up. And so I, this comes to life in my life when I sit there and I sit down and I start to pray for my kids. And I struggle to even know like, well, what do I pray for them? And if I am honest and I look at what I'm praying for my kids, I'm I'm actually praying for things like for their health and for them to do good at school. I mean, things any parent who cares for their kids would pray for, right? And then I struggle to know how to pray for my friends. I mean, I pray that they do good at their job or that they make good choices. I just, I just don't, know how to, how to, I don't know how to pray for people sometimes. I struggle with that. And it comes to life, like at the end of your communitas group when it's like prayer request share time, I mean, it's so awkward, isn't it? And you're like, oh, man. Like, you know, pray for our kids. Everybody's got a cold. It's a really busy week. And I'm just like, as a community task group leader, I'm like, okay, um, you know, take them to the doctor. I get some rest. Like, um, or it's like, you know, my, my great aunt has a kidney infection. And, and this is probably why nobody like joins my small group because I'm so uncomfortable during this time. But I, I just think, isn't there more for us? 
John Piper uh, has a great quote that really has stuck out to me this week. He says this, prayer malfunctions, right? Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It's not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for some more comforts in the den. Isn't that really what summarizes a lot of our prayer? Need some more comforts down here, Lord. Look at what Paul was praying for. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, when he said, devote yourself to prayer, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. And look at what he was praying for. Praying for us that God will open a door for the word so that we may speak the mystery of the Christ. Let me just tell you that not enough of my prayers, and I think not enough of our prayers, are really about advancing the gospel in our lives, our children's lives, our neighbors' lives. That's high-priority stuff. Lastly, one last reason we struggle with prayer, and again, just being really real, is that we're afraid of being disappointed. I'm going to ask you to do something bold today. How many of you have ever prayed for something desperately, something big, and felt like God didn't answer your prayer? Anybody ever been there? Many of you know my story. My dad was killed in a car wreck, and I'll, I'll never forget the desperation and that hot summer day in the middle of a Kansas highway where I was praying that God would save my dad because I knew immediately that he had a significant injury. And it didn't happen. And I know there's people in this room, you pray desperately for things like having a child or finding a spouse or finding a job when it's really critical. And it didn't come together, and that hurts. And it even makes us kind of just lose our passion for prayer every day. Can I just remind you of something? That even though we've all experienced some real disappointments in that area, that what God wants to do and what God is doing is answer prayer. That's what he does. And there's a specific kind of prayer that I think we can know for sure that he's answering all the time. And it's back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul's saying, I've heard about your hope of the gospel. And in verse 5, he says, the gospel, and we go to verse 6, has come to you just as in all the world, and it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it. Can I tell you something? I don't care how many big, painful prayers that have been unanswered in your life, I know that leaves a lot of pain. I have those too. Don't let that make you believe that God is not active and moving and working and answering prayers. Because what the gospel does all the time, the gospel is always doing this. It is always bearing fruit. It is always increasing. God is always at work in your life. And prayer is our primary point of connection to that work. All right. That's why we struggle Let's jump in and let's talk about maybe some things that could help us not struggle so much. You ready? 
I want to give you kind of four things to pray that can evolve your prayer life from a prayer struggler to a prayer devotee. You ready? Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For since we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you. And here's the first thing that we should pray for. And ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know, so much of our praying is really about direction, right? I mean, you can go from not having prayed for days or weeks or months to a crisis point in your life, in a decision point, and all of a sudden you're asking everybody you know, hey, pray for me, I need to make a big decision. Decisions are hard. We think knowing God's will is hard. And that's why the number one thing that Paul begins to pray for them is that they would know the will of God, that they would know what God wants. And sometimes when we talk about God's will, we talk about it like it's this mysterious, hard-to-find thing. That like I'm looking and God just doesn't really apparently want me to know what he wants me to do because I keep searching and I can't find an answer. I want to give you a promise from the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 25 verse 14 because we need to rethink how we think about God's will. God's will is not some hidden away secret treasure that he doesn't want you to find. It is hidden. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But he wants you to find it. And he promises that you will find it. Psalm chapter 25, verse 1. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make known to them his covenant. He wants you to know his will. How many of you have ever played hide-and-go-seek with a three-year-old? All right. So I heard a pastor um, talk about this one time, and then I saw it come to life in my, in my own home. Do you guys have, can you play this, uh, this is big time cinema, like Jerry Brockheimer stuff here? So do you have that video, guys? Can, can you put it on the, the screen? Ready or not, here I come. Lil. Do you hear her? Lily. Where's Lily. I'm in the Wait, snow closet. What was that? Where's Lily? It's snow closet. Oh. Oh, there you are. That's what finding God's will is like. It's like playing hide and go seek with a three-year-old, and the minute you call out and ask, he's calling back to you, saying, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. And that's why for my kids, what I pray for them is that they would know God's will in their life. And I pray that with so much confidence because I know that God wants them to know what his will is for their life. Second thing, second prayer that can evolve our our prayer life from struggler to devotee is this. Verse 9, Colossians 1, Since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects and bearing fruit in every good work. Here's where the rubber meets the road for most of us. It is, don't just pray that God's will would be known, but that his way would be followed. And we're stumbling across a big word here, and the word is, is obedience. The word is obedience. You know, we've been on a journey as a church 
in um, exploring what it means to be disciples of Christ. Not just um, a crowd that gathers around an idea of God, but actually true disciples. And, and our staff has defined discipleship for us like this, that we are on a journey to becoming fully obedient multipliers following Jesus. Fully obedient multipliers following Jesus. And like you, I've been sitting here for the last couple months as Mike's teaching this series on discipleship, and it's been making me super uncomfortable, okay? And it's because of that word, obey. That if we believe God is who he says he is, that Jesus is fully God, and we say we're following him, then obedience is really what it's all about. And when I sit there and I do my personal discipleship plan, I have this revelation that I'm really good at obeying Jesus right up until the point where it gets a little bit uncomfortable. And the prayer here is that we would follow Jesus, obey Jesus, walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord all the time. Look at what happens when we obey him. Two simple things. Verse 10, pray that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, you please him in all respects, and you bear fruit in every good work. When we walk in God's way, we please him in all respects, and we bear fruit in every good work. You want to evolve your prayer life from struggler to something more close resembling devotion? Start praying that the people around you, your kids, your spouse, your friends, your neighbors, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and that they would walk in God's way. I mean, those are things that are worth being devoted to pray for, right? Third thing, verse 10, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The third thing is that God would be known. You know, over the last few months, I've gone to uh, leave this slide up for a second, guys. I've, I've gone through a little transformation in my thinking about how God is known. I grew up in a pastor's home. I was going to church literally from before I was born. We literally like never missed a Sunday because that's just what you did. Multiple services. You go to all of them. You know what I'm talking about? Josh feels me. I heard my dad teach, and my dad taught verse by verse, just like we're doing, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the whole Bible. By the time I got to high school, I knew, and I'm not exaggerating, I literally knew enough theology and enough of the Bible that, like, I could have slid through um, the first two semesters of seminary a lot easier than I did Algebra 2. And I used to think in my life, and I kind of like that, that, like, the more I studied the more that I learned about God, the more I went and heard people teach about God, then the more I would know God, the more I would obey God. And so I used to think that like knowledge increased obedience. And what I actually think, and Paul plays it out in this, is it's the exact opposite. Obedience increases knowledge. If you look back in the history of your life, 
and you find those moments where you were on the ragged edge, obeying God, taking a leap of faith. And for some of you, that looks like some crazy mission experience. For some of you, that looks like just going across the street and trying to make friends with a neighbor and dealing with your insecurities and your fears in that area. But whatever that looks like for you in that moment when you're obeying God, I promise you that's the moment where you know God more and more and more than you ever have. That's the relationship. Obedience leads to knowledge. And that's what Paul says. Pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God. Pray that you would walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And the result of that is that you would increase in your knowledge of God. You know, at the end of the day, this is really what I want for my kids. I want my kids to increase in their knowledge of God. And that's why I committed to pray this prayer for them when my oldest daughter was born um, 10 years ago. And I haven't prayed this prayer every single day, but this is the one prayer that I've been devoted to in my life. My whole life, this is the one prayer I've been devoted to. And I've been devoted to praying, it, to praying this prayer for my three girls and for my wife since Aubrielle was born um, on November, or uh, no, August 8th. I want them to know God. And to know God, they have to walk with God. And to walk with God, they have to be filled with the knowledge of his will. All right, last thing. Look at this. The last prayer that transforms us from prayer strugglers to something more is pray that God's strength would be felt. Pray that God's will would be known, his way would be followed, that God would be known, and that his strength would be, be felt. Verse 11 increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the pertaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us the inheritance of the saints. I love this part. I love this part because people who know God's will and who follow God's way know God more intimately. They have a real knowledge of God. And when you have a real knowledge of God, that is when you feel his strength. And I love what comes to life. When God is strengthening you, look at what it says. When God is strengthening you, you attain steadfastness. Steadfastness. The idea of the word steadfastness is someone who's at the helm of a ship, and they're holding on to a bearing on that ship, and the wind and the waves and the ocean and the tide and the current is trying to push them all, all off course. But the captain of that ship is committed to holding on to that bearing no matter what. It's, it's staying straight. It's not swerving off of our path in spite of challenges. When we're strengthened by God, we have steadfastness. Secondly, he says, and it's a closely related idea, steadfastness and patience. Strengthen with joy for attaining steadfastness and patience. Patience, a better word for patience is the word long-suffering, which literally means to be able to suffer for a long time. And I like this because here's what this is saying, okay? This, is not, this prayer is not praying, God, I pray that the people around me that I love the most would, would know your will would follow your will, would know you, and that you're just going to turn their life into daisies, rainbows, and unicorns, and everything's going to be great, right? That stuff's for TV, TV preachers and booksellers. That's not for the Bible, right? What this, what this acknowledges is this. When you know God, when you're following God, life is going to be hard. 
and challenging and disappointing at times. And we need his strength so that we can suffer long and remain steadfast. Is that what you want for your kids? Parents, is that what you want for your kids? I mean, is that worthy of being devoted to praying for, for your kids? Is that what you want for your spouse? It's a worthy prayer for us to pray. Look, I'm going to end with this. I, I don't know where you all are today. I know, and I can look around this room and see some faces of some people that I know personally, and I say, hey, if I ask them to pray for me, I know 100% certain fact that person is going to be talking about God to me until I tell them to stop. But the reality of it is that's probably the exception for us. And by the way, I'm not that person. So if you've asked, I'm sorry. But I want to be that person. I want to be devoted to prayer. I want to be praying these big prayers for my kids and for my wife and for those of you that I'm in relationship with, and for my neighbors and for my coworkers who don't even know God, like this is what I want to pray for them. So I'm going to ask you, if you're a parent, I'm going to ask you to join a, a, do a challenge with me. Well, my wife and I did this back in August. We actually committed to praying these verses for our kids every single day. Like I said, we've always kind of prayed this on a regular basis, but we committed every single day we would take Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12, and we would pray that for our kids. I'm going to ask all the parents that are here, will you just join me in doing that for another 30 days? 30 days of that. And I'm going to ask all of us, can we just be devoted to this as a church? As a follower of Christ, can you be devoted to this, to praying, being devoted to prayer, not struggling? In every situation, every person that's around you, this is a great prayer to pray, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, they would walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, that they would know him, and they would be strengthened with his power. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to pray this one thing. If you're like me, and you are a uh, prayer struggler, would you just take this next 30 seconds and ask God, God, Will you help me be more devoted to prayer? God, I pray for all of us. Help us to believe. Help us to have faith that you hear and that you answer our prayers. And God, I pray that our church would be known as a church full of people that are devoted to prayer. And God, I do pray that everyone in this room, Father, I pray that we would have, we would be filled with a knowledge of your will. God, I pray that we would walk in a way that is pleasing to you. God, I, I pray that we would increase in our knowledge of you and that we would be strengthened with your power. In your name I pray.